Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. For today's interview, I had the pleasure of speaking with John A. Rice, who is the creator of the new Mindscapes Tarot. John is a lifelong artist and one of the few who specializes in oil pastels. He runs his shop, JAR Studio NYC, out of his New York City studio apartment. He is also an accomplished tarot reader, having studied extensively with his mentor from Italy. He drew on this background to create his unique, popular Mindscapes tarot deck, which is currently out on Kickstarter through the end of this week. It is John's mission to inspire the creative imagination, nurture the human spirit, and enrich our world community through visionary, expansive, and mystical art. Find him on Instagram at JARStudioNYC. I want to thank John for taking the time to speak with me about his work. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing about his process and the channeled way that he created this deck, as well as a few spoiler alerts towards the end of the episode. And I also want to give a quick shout out to our new Patreon members. Thank you so, so, so much for pledging your support of this podcast. As some of you know, I'm in the midst of writing what I'm hoping will become a book on queer mythopoetics, and I've begun releasing short excerpts of the book on Patreon. If you're curious to read them and would like to support the work that we do here on In Search of Tarot, you can do so for as little as $2 a month over at patreon.com slash in search of tarot. Thanks also to those of you who've left reviews of the show on Apple Podcasts. We love to read those. It means so much and it's free to do. And it really does bump us up in the search, allowing a lot more people to discover the show. All right, everyone, enjoy today's episode with John A. Rice. John, I am so happy to have you here on In Search of Tarot. I'm so excited to talk with you about this gorgeous deck that I've been following for some time, uh, your Mindscapes deck. How long have you been in the process of making it? Um, It will be almost two years. I started it at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. So many, so many great projects, including this podcast started at the beginning of the pandemic. So. Right. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. On thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, I know that's, that's really crazy. Um, but um, I also am excited to talk to you because you like me seem to be kind of a, a little bit of a jack of all trades as far as you, you know, you do uh, performance art, visual art, tarot, and I want to talk to you about all of it. So I thought I would let you kind of pick how we dive in, um, you know, what came first and how did you, um, how did all these different art forms, you know, kind of come into your life? Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's funny. The visual arts thing came about in a very sort of roundabout way. I've always done visual art ever since I was very little, like my earliest memories are me drawing characters from Disney movies. And at one point, I think I wanted to be a Disney animator um, back when it was all Mm -hmm. hand-drawn. But I think by the time of like high school, other sort of artistic pursuits had risen to the top. And to be honest, I never really thought 
of visual arts as a career for myself realistically. Um, and it wasn't, to be honest, until the very beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I moved to New York City. I'm an actor, I'm a writer, a filmmaker. And those things were sort of my bread and butter for the majority of my adult life. But then when the pandemic happened, you know, all those other creative channels sort of evaporated. And my partner, Kevin, he encouraged me, probably because I was so crazy with my emotions at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> to just start putting my visual arts out there. Because it had always just been sort of my hobby. It was my thing that I would go to to ground myself and it was very meditative. I would make art for other people as gifts. Um, I had some of it hanging in my house. But it, was re it wasn't really until Kevin encouraged me that I started putting it on social media and uh, tackling the tarot project. And people, you know, the response has been amazing and I'm so floored and grateful for it. Um, but truth told, I still don't know how I feel about it. I don't know how I feel about my visual arts having kind of risen to the top of what I'm doing professionally. It's mm -hmm. almost like this little hobby has been commodified in a way. And I, I think I have my own personal reservations just in terms of where we are as a society and feeling like everybody who's remotely good at something should find a way to monetize it and, and market it. And I don't think that's the way that we're meant to live. So I do have a little bit of dissonance with that. Mm, wow. I, re I really appreciate you sharing that. That's very interesting. Um, and I, I, I definitely know what you mean. Um, and also the pressure sometimes that we feel to commodify like what we do and like everything we do and that it's not successful unless it is like bringing some money back. Right. 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 It sort of, um, prevents people, I think from having pastimes anymore, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Am I correct that you read tarot yourself? I do. Yeah. I got into tarot, um, later in life. I, <laughs> I grew up in a Baptist church. Me too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, so you know, so you know. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm sure a lot of your listeners relate to that too. Um, where anything even remotely left hand would get you condemned to like yeah. hellfire. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's funny, just tangentially, a memory just popped into my head. Um, I will never forget. I walked into Sunday school one time and one and the teacher had found a Harry Potter book. I guess one of the other kids had left it in a pew or something like that. Mm. And they had gone through and highlighted all the passages that were quote unquote demonic. Oh my gosh. And that's what the Sunday school lesson was about. I will never forget it to this day. It was so crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but all that is to say that like, it was sort of a, um, it was not the straight path toward, toward tarot and that sort those sorts of things. I moved to New York City. I started hanging out with uh, people from lots of different backgrounds and cultures. And um, when my spiritual spirituality sort of evened out, it was sort of more of a a mixture of of a lot of different things, of a lot of different practices that just worked for me personally. Like when I think about my current spiritual practice, there's elements of of Christianity, of Judaism. Um, there's paganism, spiritualism, it's, you know, lots of different things. And tarot, it was always sort of there in the background. Um, I received a tarot deck. It was Kim Krantz's Wild Unknown Tarot mm -hmm. for as, as a gift. Um, 
I think because it's an artist deck and it was given to me by my partner and he, uh, I think he knew I would respond to Kim's story about using tarot as a way to work through depression and anxiety. Um, and about a week later at a party, I met a lovely woman named Lorraine who was a tarot reader from Italy. And she told me that when you receive a tarot deck as a gift, you have to learn to read, mm. which I thought was just such a beautiful sentiment and something that I try to even pass on to people now. Um, so she took me under her wing and I started to mentor with her for a few months. And I was very fortunate to have her as a mentor because she had this amazing treasure trove of tarot decks. I'll never forget walking to her, walking into her apartment and she opened up this chest. It was like a literal treasure chest. Oh, wow, yeah. And she opened it up and she had just like 50 to 100 decks. And every single time we had a lesson, we would read with a new deck. Mm. So it was sort of this tour of tarot and I got to understand the artwork and what resonated with me what didn't resonate with me, how the wisdom of tarot expresses itself in different cultures. Um, and looking a, back on that, I think that you can kind of see that even in, in mindscapes. What an incredible um, gift to have a mentor, like an actual one-on-one uh, -on -one mentorship. I just feel like that's pretty unusual. Um, you know, I, 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 yeah. I, my experience, yeah, I didn't know. I, I suppose that I, I do kind of get that, that tarot can be quite an individual path. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'm very grateful for the time that I spent with Lorraine. Yeah. How would you kind of sum up her approach that she taught you with the tarot? Well, it's funny because uh, she is a very intuitive reader. She um, deals a lot with astrology. Her readings are a little bit more like this might be the wrong word for it, but I would say like supernatural leaning. Mm -hmm. um, whereas my own readings tend to be a little bit more psychological in nature. Mm -hmm. So that was fascinating uh, to have her teaching me. And then it was sort of like, I would take the knowledge that she gave me and kind of interpret it in my own way. Mm -hmm. um, that was also very, very interesting because we approached it from two very different points of view. What does that mean to you? Say a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, it means that as opposed to using it as sort of a predictive tool or a fortune telling tool, uh, which a lot of people expect, like when I do readings for friends and things, I think that they think it's going to be one thing and that it turns out to be something very different. Mm -hmm. um, to me, the tarot is sort of a facilitator of just conversations between people. Mm -hmm. um, it allows you to kind of get into your own mind and see your own problems from a different perspective or look at your question in a way that you might never have considered before. It's, it's something that I feel like could be at home in a tarot reader's parlor as much as in like a therapist's office in a way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, you kind of touched on this earlier, but what was, you know, kind of the the tipping point for you to feel like you wanted to start making your own deck, you know, in a time when there are, have been, there's sort of been a huge influx of new decks, you know, in the past few years and what, what kind of pushed you over the edge to want to make one of your own. Right. Um, I didn't actually realize there was a huge influx of decks until I started making my own. I mean, it, it makes sense because of the time that we're in, you know, there's so much uncertainty people, I think are looking for ways to take agency in their own lives and tarot is a way to do that. Mm -hmm. um, 
I I think that when I saw Herman Handel's tarot deck, are you familiar with that one? The Handel no, tarot? I'm not. No. Oh, you should do. I don't know if you have a computer handy or any of your listeners, but you should just take a quick look at that. It's um, a multicultural deck done by a fine artist. And every single card is an oil painting that you could just imagine hanging in a museum somewhere. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, they're, they're just beautiful. And so much time and care and attention was spent in creating each individual one. And it was the first time that I ever made that connection between fine art and tarot mm-hmm. when I realized that that was even a thing. You know, mm-hmm. obviously later I would come to learn about Dali's tarot deck and uh, Klimt's uh, and you know, Gori's. There's a whole line of, of artist tarot decks, but that was the first time I had ever seen one. And I immediately was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what this deck of yours looks like. I mean, each, each card is a true, true work of art. I mean, it's stunning. Thank Um, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What, uh, tell us a little bit about the process that you went through of working with the feedback of viewers, kind of as you started to roll out these images, um, how you were incorporating the response that you were getting from people. Sure. Yeah, that was really touching and unexpected, uh, the kind of the back and forth communication that I ended up having with people online. Um, Also, I think a product of the pandemic, it was sort of our like communal table, social media. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't really know what the deck was going to be. I didn't really even have any aspirations for it. Like I said, it was just sort of a way to channel my anxious energy when we were in lockdown. And um, so I just started with the moon because it sort of had that nebulous energy of like, where are we going? Which is where what mm-hmm. we were all feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. And I continued on with the sun and the star. I did the celestial cards and realized at that point what the, what the deck was going to be in a way I, I was like okay so we're seeing like a landscape theme and this idea popped into my head of doing uh the fool's journey as an actual journey by a stowaway on a sailing ship which you see in the first card in the fool and mm. each card after that is like a stop on their journey um somewhere that they might see on their way to towards some final destination mm. um and when that popped into my head, I immediately was able to envision, I know how weird this sounds. I was immediately able to envision all, well, not all, I was able to envision about 20 of the 22 cards, just like instantly. Like I would close my eyes and I could just see one by one what they would look like. And I said to myself, um, no matter how long this takes, just stick to this original vision, no matter how much you want to change it or fiddle with it. Because, you know, mm. when you're in a long-term project, you do get to the point where you're like, I, you know better. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I want to change this. I want to fiddle with this. I, I vowed that I wouldn't do it. And when I started to post online and people began to respond, um, it not only allowed me to just continue with such a long-term project, because there were certainly days when I didn't <laughs> you know, when I didn't want to sit down at the art table, but I, you know, we were all feeling such, such kind of like dark emotions from, from time to time during this period. Mm-hmm. But also um, 
it allowed me to kind of recommit to that original vision um, when I would hear how people would respond to certain cards. Um, one of the most frequent comments that I got was, oh, I never saw this card in this way before. Or, oh, this card is my astrological card that I never connected with until I saw this drawing. And it just kind of reinforced like, okay, this is the right track. I'm doing the right thing. Um, just keep going forward with it. And then my favorite thing was when people would see things in the cards that I didn't intend, that I didn't intentionally put there. Mm-hmm. And there's a few instances where that happened. Like in the tower card, I remember someone saw an all seeing eye in the bricks of the tower. Mm-hmm. And I ended up adding that into the guidebook because I just, I just thought it was such a cool thing, whether it was there subconsciously or not. Um, there was a similar circumstance with the justice card where in the justice card, I sort of have this magisterial square and in the distance you see this small town and someone said, isn't it interesting that you have this separation between like us on the ground and what happens in like the hallowed halls of the law. Mm. And isn't that a parallel for like what's going on in our lives where we feel kind of removed from, from the concept of justice as it relates to us and our communities versus, you know, justice in the grand broad sense. And I just thought that was such a cool observation that I, that I, like I said, I put that into the guidebook too. I just thought it was so interesting. Yeah. I really love that you pointed out, um, your commitment to your original vision and like, you know, that you really wanted to stick with that because I feel like in my own artistic career, that has been the biggest like eye-opening lesson was the first time that I sort of, uh, you know, had a vision and had a different way of working than anything I'd ever done before. And I was like, I'm going to really see this through. And I really didn't know at the time if it was going to be good, bad, you know, I really, I had no idea, but I was just right. like, I'm just going to do this, you know? And there were a few times along the way where it got really tempting to kind of revert back to things that felt more comfortable, you know, or sort of, you know, just Mm -hmm. be like, well, I've only got 30 minutes of rehearsal right now. So let me just kind of do what I usually do. And I was, and I remember making the decision, no, I'm going to make myself stick with this method and just see what happens if I really do this, you know, all the way through. And I can remember writing in my journal, this is the way to get to something unique. Like this is, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the way and, and whether or not, it is ultimately, you know, quote unquote successful. It is successful in being different than anything I've done before, you know? Right, right. It's, yeah, it's extremely challenging, especially when the project or the, the piece of art is something that takes a long time. Because right. I just think that it's, you know, it's human nature to want to like do something new and innovative. So when you're yeah. looking back on, on something that you said you were going to do two years ago, um, yeah, I, I think that it's kind of tempting to want to, mess with things but and you know to be honest there's a time and a place when I when I do think it is appropriate to roll with the roll with the punches and and adjust as you go on but I think because like I said it was such a clear picture that I had of these cards in my brain Mm -hmm. when I first set out to create them I just knew I was like I have to put it down like this Mm. I don't know how else to describe it really yeah, I mean that's it. Really sounds channeled, you know, like that. I mean, that's, right, that's yeah. really incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm assuming, that's what you mean when you call it a tarot panorama, is sort of that that s- sense of 
laying them all out side by side and sort of seeing the whole journey. Exactly, exactly. Because mm -hmm. yeah, you can say a panorama is like each individual card, sure, which it is. But the way that I almost, instead of seeing them laid out in sets of seven, like we traditionally see tarot cards, I almost see them laid out in a long strip with a beginning and an end. Um, well, you know, you know what I mean by end, it kind of circles back around, but um, I often think that if I ever were to do a gallery show with the originals, which I hope to do one day, um, I would want to have them in a line going around a room so that you kind of follow the cards in order and then end up back at the beginning. So yeah. I see it as one long, it's like one long unbroken view, basically is how I see all the cards together. Yeah. Does this deck include the minors as well? It does not. It's a majors deck. Um, it's all done in oil pastel, right? which takes a very, very long time. I, <laughs> I hear this a lot because people are like, oh, you should do the minors. And, you know, to be honest, I won't rule it out as like something that maybe happens in a different phase of life down the line. But, you know, 24, or I guess I can spoil the surprise. I'm going to do 24 cards um, from my majors. Uh, 24 cards will have taken me two years to complete working on them almost full time. Yeah. So it just it just takes a really long time in this medium. So to do the minors, it would just be uh, probably like a decade from now. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm curious to know, um, you know, as you were making this, were you drawing inspiration at all from the lineage of you know, other decks or other systems such as the Rider Waite Smith deck and system that have come before it? Were you were you pulling from that at all or was it did it feel completely oh, yeah. well I I said earlier there is sort of like a lineage of artists tarot decks. So I I felt very much in line with that while I was creating things. Um, you have fame you have a lot of famous artists who did tarot decks. You have some less famous but equally incredible artists. Um, uh, but basically, I feel like we're all trying to distill a very common thread of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the tarot, as well as in astrology and numerology, you're just taking this sort of ancient knowledge that has been passed down for thousands of years, you know, from back when like, tribal elders and seers were talking to people and seeing people going through the same problems and the same cycles. And they were, they would see that, okay, there's some solutions that work better than others. I feel like that knowledge gets distilled over the centuries and then put into systems like tarot and astrology and the face of those things might change. Like the way that we're presenting them or packaging them might change to suit our audience at the time. Um, like for example, with Mindscapes, someone pointed out that the cards look like little, little windows out to magical mm. worlds when we're all stuck inside in isolation, mm. which I didn't even realize. I mean, that, uh, yeah, my mind was like kind of blown when they said that because I was like, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. But, yeah. um, you know, the packaging changes, but ultimately it is this sort of like this tiny thread of knowledge that existed long before us and will continue long after us that we're just trying to to interpret for our generation yeah one of the things i'm always curious to talk with people that are making decks about is the way that they chose to incorporate symbolism into the images because mm -hmm. um 
I feel like that must be kind of daunting in a way because you know you're not you are making art but you're also making art that's meant to be in like interpreted in a really kind of you know specific way um so you know how did how did you select and and how did you think about the symbolism and did you draw from any particular um you know correspondences or associations or you know how did you approach that yeah i mean i definitely used um a lot of color theory Mm -hmm. um there is there are very few colors in this deck that are chosen without consideration to their meanings and um their associations um i used a lot of animals in this deck which once again the ones that i chose have very specific cultural um uh, cultural parallels i guess you would say Mm -hmm. um and even like elements from from mythology i would say that i used that i drew upon it was helpful to have such a clear roadmap at the beginning because from there it was just a matter of thinking okay i know what this landscape is going to be now it's just a matter of thinking how the meaning behind this card how the the different keywords that we associated might manifest in this particular environment does that Mm -hmm. make sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so with with that i just had a lot of fun you know Mm -hmm. like for example in the hermit um I knew I wanted to have this sort of cave dwelling up very high in this like icy mountaintop. Mm-hmm. But then when I thought about the card's meaning, I was like, okay, well, what if we had a little petroglyph of like an owl? Because, you know, you have this sort of meaning of wisdom and illumination and owls uh, typically represent that in many different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so like things like that and seeing um, in the Hierophant card, there's a lodge with a fire burning inside and the smoke is funneling out through the top. And I said, well, what if we had that in the shape of a bird because, uh, you know, ravens and and eagles are so symbolic in different cultures. So because I had the landscapes plotted out, it was from there, it was just a matter of thinking, how would these concepts manifest um, in these environments? Did anything... um about the landscape that came to your mind surprise you or or um change the way that you thought about a particular card in any way yeah for sure well um so i told you i could see 20 out of the 22 cards right away at the beginning and there were two cards that eluded me Mm. um the first card was strength Mm. and i had a few different concepts popping around in my head for that and Uh, I ended up settling on, uh, it's a horse corral in the shadow of a big mountain that's pointing skyward. And um, I sort of just set out to draw it. I didn't really, I was doing the sketch and like, I didn't really have it plotted out as clearly as the other ones, but like a little house appeared. And then I remember I had the horse corral and then I said, well, what if there was a farmer that was kind of feeding one of the horses and kind of nurturing it? Like, uh, because one of the things that I love about the strength card is that it's, you know, strength through, through gentleness and through, you know, embracing our higher faculties, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second card, oh my God, uh, was the chariot. And to be honest, I flew totally by the seat of my pants with that one. It was the last card that I had to do. And co- completely coincidentally, because 
I had the audience picking the cards that I was going to do. And it was the one card that gave me the, the most trouble. Hmm. And it was the last card that was chosen. Hmm. Um, and I don't know why, perhaps you can help me unravel that <laughs> in this discussion. <laughs> but I knew, I sort of knew I wanted to do Africa, you know, like maybe an Egyptian theme. Um, maybe it was that, maybe it was just me nodding to like the Rider Waite Smith deck um, with the sphinxes and the, and the traditional chariot. But mm. uh, yeah, that card, I second guessed it all throughout the process. Um, and even now when I look at it, you know, I, th I think it works and I like it in terms of the other cards, but there's still a little part of me that is, is unsure about it. And I don't know if maybe that's because we're in a time that feels so uncertain and feels like so difficult to move forward or like we're trying to move forward, but maybe it's like not time yet. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Is that a card that you, um, struggled with in your own tarot practice before you started trying to make this deck? No, not really. Um, yeah. which makes me think that maybe it is a sign of the times. Yeah. Um, it does disconcert me a lot that we're seeing I think we're trying to see like a rush to reopen everything and get back to the normal status quo. When in reality, so much has changed for so many people mm -hmm. um, that it's hard to imagine how we can just go back to normal. I think I really have some um, apprehensions about that. So maybe that, maybe that is why, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, what, how, so I guess I'm curious, um, as you were, were starting to complete this deck, which I mean, that's only very recent, but have yeah. you, have you tried working with it and have you let other people try working with it? Like, did you sort of test it out? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have uh, read with the deck and I actually, I was very pleased, you know, you always have that little voice of doubt in your mind. That's like, this isn't going to work, mm -hmm. but, um, I've read with the deck. I really like reading with the deck the chariot has not come up in my readings. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> right. right. Wow. That's so interesting. Um, and then what about the guidebook? How did you approach writing the guidebook? That's another thing that I feel like would be kind of daunting because I don't know about you, but like the longer I work with the tarot, the more hesitant I become to define the cards really in like any way, you know, and, right. and the more, and the more hesitant, I think I would feel to create a guidebook. So I'm just wondering how that was for you and how you went about that. Right. Well, the guidebook, um, oh, it was daunting. I made the decision early on because it was just going to be a majors deck and each card took so much time. I wanted them all to sort of get their proper showcase. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision early on to make it a sort of art book. Um, it's 75 pages, eight by 10 hardback. And each card gets its own spread, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but I also knew because of this unique situation from which the cards were emerging, I wanted to talk about that. I thought it was important to have this book to accompany the deck because I thought it was important for people to kind of understand where my head was at when I was creating it. So not only does it have my personal interpretation of the cards, but it also has a few essays in it where I kind of talk about how um, the cards came to be, about how they weirdly aligned with different things that were going on in the world as I made them. Mm. That's that was that was a really interesting thing. Um, like I will never forget how 
the death card, for example, I was illustrating it as, as the US presidency turned over and there was the insurrection at the Capitol. Wow. And it felt like this, like this upheaval of this like dying animal or this dying system before it became something newer and you know depending how you feel more more hopeful Mm -hmm. um that was crazy i remember i was illustrating judgments which i drew a lot of inspiration from new orleans and as i was illustrating that the hurricane hit hurricane ida Mm. so my version on the card it's very colorful it's got a lot of life it's this vibrant uh, sunset or sunrise, depending on the way you're looking at it, lots of colored lights. Um, and I remember seeing all of these images coming in in the media of New Orleans completely grayed out and just like vacant. It was just completely abandoned and completely lifeless. And that was kind of a kind of mind blowing too. I actually ended up putting a few copies of that up for auction for uh, hurricane relief for Red Cross. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, so so a bunch of cards correlated with different things that were going on. I write about that in the guidebook. Um, and then there's also a section for personal notes, a mm. pretty big section for personal notes, because like you said, I do think it's really important for people to look at these cards and just interpret them themselves and write mm. down what they see and almost have their own little, their own little guidebook. Um, yeah. It was important for me to have that component. I and, I, and I wrote the I wrote the whole thing um, almost like journaling style. So it's not formal. Like my writing style isn't formal. I wanted it to feel like a conversation that was just happening, like we're having right now. Um, it was really important for me to continue that sort of reciprocal feeling that was built through the social media, where I respond to everybody's messages, and I just wanted it to feel like two friends talking. Yeah. So through the process of building this and and creating this, how, what have you learned about your own tarot practice and how has it changed? Mm, That is such a good question. Um, I, well, first and foremost, whenever I hold a tarot deck now, I feel very connected to the artist. I think Mm. because I now know what goes, what goes into it. Yeah. Um, Truly when you hold a tarot deck you're almost like holding a part of an artist's soul i know how corny that sounds but when you're when you have an artist who's made 22 or 78 cards and it's grown with them throughout a part of their lives mm-hmm. if you there really is like a profound amount of that person in what you're seeing yeah so almost in the way that you would go into a museum and look at a piece of art and think like, you know, every brushstroke is a second of that artist's life. Mm-hmm. You're literally seeing like a moment in time from somebody's life. That's yeah. not how I feel when I hold, hold tarot decks. And we kind of overlook that. I feel like, right. you know, we, we focus For so sure. much on what they mean and not so much on the art maybe, you know? Right. Absolutely. Um, and then I would say another un- unexpected consequence, uh, perhaps in just the way that we were talking about looking at symbolism and breaking down every little detail of the card. It renewed my appreciation for Oracle decks. Mm. I know that sound that might sound strange, but I guess because I was looking at things from a more interpretive perspective, like analyzing, what does this color mean? What if I moved this item over here? Like 
I suppose that's what you do when you read Oracle decks because there isn't, you're not really looking at the structure so much as looking at the individual cards and, and interpreting an emotion or a mood um, or a story. And I think that working with my deck, at least in the way that I was doing it, it gave me a much deeper appreciation and sort of taught me how to better read with Oracle decks. Would you ever make an Oracle deck? <laughs> uh, I guess this is going to be the second spoiler alert of this podcast. Oh. But, um, <laughs> I, one of my tiers in the Kickstarter, one of the rewards, is a as an oracle deck. Oh wow! It can be used as a companion to Mindscapes, but it can also be used totally independently. Um, yeah, well, during the course of Mindscapes, you'll notice that each card has a little symbol at the bottom that I've created uh, to kind of represent the card. I was experimenting a lot with symbol making during the pandemic. It, it just helped me. I don't know, meditate, uh, journal. It helped me kind of organize my thoughts in a way just con condensing concepts down to their most like primitive lines and dots or what have you so what i'm doing uh for the kickstarter is i'm going to hand make 50 oracle decks they're wow. going to be made on papyrus that i'm going to um tear and and burn and distress myself and then i'm going to draw on them with charcoal and graphite and ash with the different symbols Wow. Um, so there will be a 50 of them. And I hope that, you know, by the use of the natural materials and the fact that it's handmade, it's just so important for me to have that connection that we've been talking about between the artist and the reader. Like, I think mm -hmm. that there is something so vital and profound about that, that I, I, that's what I'm hoping to capture with this deck, but there's only going to be 50. So yes, I, I, I will continue to make Oracle decks. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so cool. I am I am on that. That is that is amazing. And like, I mean, 50 is honestly a lot to do by hand yes. like that. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I went back and forth on that number. It's it, maybe I'll come to regret it, but um, you know, we'll we'll see. So yeah, so when this when this episode comes out, um, we will be you will have a few days left, I think, of the Kickstarter. So tell people, yeah. tell people where they can find it and and how they can follow you and this project and and how they can get this deck and and that Oracle deck sounds amazing. Sure, yeah, thank you. Um, so on Kickstarter, the project is called Mindscapes: A Tarot Panorama, and you can follow the progress. I'll be posting lots of updates on Instagram at J-A-R-Studio-N-Y-C. And my website is www.jarstudionyc.com. Amazing. Well, John, congratulations on this amazing project. And I, I definitely, you know, like I said, I appreciate all that you said about the complicated feelings that you feel, you know, wound up in, in your visual art, kind of taking this, this prominent place in your life. But I, I mean, I'm sure glad that it has because it's absolutely beautiful what you've done and and I can't wait to work with the deck and can't wait to just watch other people work with it. I mean, it's so stunning, truly. It's amazing. Thank you very much. And I hope that we're in a time too where we're seeing tarot and Oracle decks kind of changing, bucking the system a little bit and branching out and redefining the systems in which we live. Yes, cheers to that. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to In Search of Tarot. 
You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore. That's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore. And you can follow me, Nick, at In Search of Tarot. This podcast is independently recorded, edited, and produced by us, which means that we rely solely on the generous support of our Patreon backers to make this podcast happen. If you'd like to lend us your support, you can do so for as little as $2 a month over on patreon.com slash in search of tarot.